Hello and welcome to Destigmatized. My name is Adam Kavlin. I am here with my friend Irene Rising. Hey, Irene. Hi. Hey, how are you, Adam? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? You know, um, I haven't showered since Christmas Day, but I feel like that's not indicative of my mental health right now so much as me just vibing with my body. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing well today. I'm always pretty good in the morning. Um, it's not morning. It's basically morning for me. I mean, morning's relative, depending yeah, on when you wake it, up. Exactly. I think the first three hours after you are alert is morning. That's what I think. I agree with that. And also, <laughs> like, we don't need, who need, what do you need to shower for? I mean, why, you know, it's, who, yeah, you, who are you trying to I impress? Right. And I feel like I don't feel gross um, at all. And I, you know, my hygiene is intact. So let's just roll with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Trust yourself. Yeah. Save water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I would love to just hear about your first experiences, either learning about uh, mental health as a concept or... Um, any early struggles you had with mental health, wherever you want to start, really? Yeah, so um, that's a nice place to start for sure. I feel like maybe I'll say the first time I struggled with mental health that I can remember was like basically my first memories um, as a person, like around being four or five, um, uh, which I later kind of came to find was when I... Um, started exhibiting symptoms of my OCD that I have, that I was born with, that I've always had. Um, I have OCD, uh, but I didn't get in touch with that until I was like 20. Um, but it's mostly, it's mostly like obsessional. So pure O, um, it's called like pure obsession OCD, but I also um, do have compulsions that are associated as well. But I didn't really have like a, the language for that. Um, until I kind of hit a crisis point in college between like smack in the middle of college that summer for me it was summer of 2013 um, but yeah when I was little I also started I was introduced to the concept of mental health I think when I was around nine and my parents got divorced um, so I was put into therapy um, for that but also honestly I remember most of the things I talked about in therapy were um, my impulse and instinct to dress as a girl and call myself a girl and sort of identify as a, as a little girl. Um, and just for, you know, everyone's clarity, I do identify as a trans woman. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I remember, you know, I had a therapist who was very eccentric and interesting and you know, maybe had some questionable guidance for me at that time. Um, like watch movies like Mrs. Doubtfire or watch Tootsie and, you know, that's you, you know, and basically those are movies about men who are very obviously dressing up as women um, for an objective that is not to be at one with their gender. I mean, you know, so yeah, it, it uh, that kind of, 
I, I had no language for transness or anything at that time. Um, but while I was coming into my own as a trans woman, I was also dealing with this undiagnosed anxiety OCD disorder, which again, I didn't really have any language for either of those dueling things I was like, um, that were bubbling up inside me um, until college. But yeah, I guess that somewhat answers your question. <laughs> no, definitely. I think that's such an important point and uh, about the language and being able to name the thing that you're feeling. Um, I think that's a big thing that I've mm -hmm. heard other people talk about regarding mental health issues in, as like a first step in, in dealing with it. Um, and especially with gender issues as well, like you don't really know what you're feeling and it's very strange because it's not something anyone talks about or obviously that's, that's changed a lot mm -hmm. recently, but you know, when we were younger, like no one talked about transness. And so like, how are you supposed to know what that, what that feeling is? Right. And for a while, like Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire were my favorite movies because I was told like, this is you. And also those two people were actors, you know, Dustin Hoffman was playing a woman to get an acting role. Um, Robin William, I said Dustin, right. And then Robin and, um, Mrs. Doubtfire was trying to be a caretaker for his kid, but he was also an actor. So, you know, I have this older, you know, supposedly wise man therapist telling me that this is you, you're a man who's also an actor. Cause I was, I've always known I wanted to be a performer. And um, yeah, I mean, so it's sort of like, if I don't have the language or any knowledge of what the hell's going on, then how am I supposed to, you know? Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing to realize. I've never thought about till now, but yeah. Yeah. So how has, um, how has your OCD kind of transformed over time? What was that journey like for you from when you first started dealing with it when you were younger? Yeah. So, um, in, I would say, you know, I do have those early memories of having, um, of having OCD. The first thing I remember is like, um, being home with my dad and um my mom um she my mom is like an angel and my best friend very best friend in the world but she's like a very late she's a tardy woman um so she would be late like every night home from work and i would always cyclically like imagine the worst possible scenario and i would like i would ruminate and be so scared that she had gotten into a car crash and like you know for people who don't have OCD we you know everybody has those thoughts um but like really random strange thoughts like say when you're driving on the road and you have the thought like what if I just like merged into oncoming traffic and then someone without OCD could be like that was a weird thought I'm gonna move on but like for someone with um PRO specifically OCD it's like it can be sort of like a crippling uh, cycle of thinking about it and thinking about it. And then this shame and guilt of why am I thinking about my mom dying? My mom dying is the last thing I would ever want to happen in the world. So basically, you know, that's how my OCD sort of manifests. Um, and so that would, that would happen when I was a kid. And then high school, I remember feeling like a ton of, I was cast as Brutus and Julius Caesar. And I felt like this unbelievable amount of stage anxiety, which was bizarre in my first experience with it. Um, you know, intrusive thoughts, very repetitive of um, me getting on stage and forgetting every single line. 
you know, like crippling anxiety about it. Like I wasn't eating or, you know, sleeping so scared about it. And that happened, that carried on into college as well. Um, and then I would say like a crisis period happened uh, where I knew I really needed help. And I was, you know, a little pretty scared um, after my sophomore year of college when I started having um, obsessive thoughts of hurting myself which was extremely bizarre to me because I've personally never um, experienced depression um, or suicidal ideations or self-harm, you know, thoughts or actions. So that was extremely alarming to me. Um, and I was like, who would think these things if they didn't want to do it? Like, and then maybe I will do it or hurt myself in some way. So it was really like debilitating, um, experience and you know I was having my mom do things like uh hiding bleach and you know just really living in fear of um hurting myself in some way even though it was the last thing I wanted to do right so I'm like what's what the hell's going on um and unfortunately my first experience with a therapist talking about OCD was very triggering um she used language that wasn't helpful like oh, I'd never heard of someone experiencing symptoms in this way. And that, you know, completely isolates you and makes you feel like you are the C word, you know, that being crazy in this sense, um, which is of course a very stigmatized and bad word. But, um, but yeah, and then I finally got in touch with a man, uh, my therapist of over seven years who um, has truly just, helped me more than any I ever thought any human ever could. And basically, you know, just by showing me and teaching me what OCD was and um, giving me a workbook, a workbook and the tools to, um, you know, figure out, okay, you know, this isn't, there's no real threat, right? It's all just a false alarm in your head. And um, this is OCD. This is something manageable. It's not something unmanageable. It's just like, you know, people who have any other thing, whether that's, a, um, you know, a knee that can be, can act up sometimes or, you know, someone who has like dental issues or, you know, something that you can't help. It's not your fault. You don't need to be feeling all this shame for these thoughts. And, you know, you're not out of your mind. You're just, I mean, you have something that is truly quite manageable, even though it all seems completely unmanageable. Um, so I've been seeing him off and on for seven and a half years, and he's an absolutely amazing doctor. Um, and I'm extremely blessed to have gotten in touch with him. Um, but really, more than just him, I mean, I, I always give him so much credit, like he saved me or something. But, you know, really, it's just learning the tools and learning that I'm, that I do have, um, I can manage this, you know, much more than I thought. I could, because when you're in those crisis periods, it all feels completely unmanageable. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just been, and you know, I started a medication, um, which I've been on for seven years and it's been incredible and um, really opened me up. But I have gone through relapses of symptoms. Um, you know, I find with my mental health, it's sort of like, I'm either, gray and very 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 small extremely manageable um light ocd symptoms or i'm 
kind of in a oh wow this is a month or two period of of a relapse of of um pretty intense symptoms so i mean having somebody there for that is just really important and crucial oh my god yeah that is i had a similar experience um with depression and i started seeing this mm-hmm. therapist when i was uh like 12 or 13 when my parents got divorced and I saw her through like middle school, high school, every time I would come back home from college, like Mm -hmm. um, finding that person uh, can be really, really crucial for healing um, and managing. Um, I'm so sure that you have that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You talked about, you talked about a lot of things. I think what, something that stood out I to did. me was <laughs> no, that's Sorry. great. Um, something that there was a few things that stood out to me, but um, one was just the idea of uh, you know getting over that shame, that first mm. feeling of of kind of like self judgment for your uh, mental health issues, um, and I think that's a really really difficult step for most people. I know, I know it was for me, for sure. Could you talk a little bit more about that and like how you managed to get over that shame? Yeah, so getting over the shame of my mental health. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, it's definitely a journey. I still, the thing about my OCD is, you know, OCD thrives on uh, shame. I mean, it's like, you know, I, the things that you that I that my OCD thoughts are completely unreasonable and completely not rational and not logical and um, the panic that follows those thoughts is what drives OCD and what fuels it and um, the best thing I can try to do is is accept the thoughts are there so I don't give them power right like that mindfulness stuff and then. Um, try my best to just distract myself and and move forward um and ignore it as much as i can so but releasing myself of the shame of my ocd is wild but in terms of um so i i think i i definitely struggle still i mean i don't know manage forever the shame of like my specific um ocd but I don't have shame in talking about it, if that makes sense. Um, I don't have shame that I have OCD. When I found out that I had OCD, I was like, what a relief. I have, you know, it's one of the times in your life you actually like a label. I mean, for me, I was like, I love this label. I love knowing that I have this thing. And it's not a scary thing. I mean, it's just a a thing that a lot of people have. Um, You know, so many people have um OCD anxiety depression and that doesn't make it easy at all but it's sort of it was sort of a relief to me that it was something that I could manage um and I knew that I could be strong enough to so I don't um I don't think I have shame over my diagnosis of OCD but I certainly you know I'm always gonna struggle with the shame of of the way it um, manifests in me. But, but as I continue to get better and continue to navigate it and manage it, what I'm learning to do more and more is um, let those thoughts be 
the power, like really what they are, which is completely powerless. I mean, there is no power or, um, oh God, what do I always say? That that's like the best thing ever. It's, um, there's no threat in a thought, right? There's only threat in an action. Um, so the more I remember that, the more I can release myself of the shame of my um, OCD, I think. Because it's really just a thought. It's nothing but a thought, you know? It's like, oh, what am I going to have for lunch? Oh, there's an OCD thought I have about, you know, hurting myself. It's nothing, right? It's just a thought. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And that's a really important distinction that you made between uh, the shame of, like, of talking about it and, like, having people know versus the the feeling of shame of just, like, the thoughts themselves, um, and it's like the internalized stuff mm-hmm. and that, yeah, that is exactly what I, that's exactly what I meant. And I, cause I felt so much of that. Um, and I, and I went through the same thing when I was diagnosed with depression, I was like, Oh, like, cool. That's what, it, that's what all these things are. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And then I definitely, it definitely took me a long time to move past, um, that self judgment, um, for having, those types of thoughts in the first place. And I think that's a really difficult, uh, but key step in moving forward just with healing and and management. It sounds like that uh, a lot of your OCD symptoms are present around things that you, like it showed up around things that you really care about. Like you talked about um, the examples you gave with your mom. And then, like you said, you always wanted to, you knew you always wanted to be a performer an actor. And then, it came up when you, you know, were um, doing your play, doing the play. Uh, is that a common thing? How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's the the OCD uh, intrusive. I guess I call. I mean, I always call them intrusive thoughts. The intrusive thoughts really target the thing that I love the most. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, of course, it was my mom, um, and my worst fear was losing her. So it would, you know, target that. Or, um, yeah, I was really proud to be uh, Brutus and Julius Caesar. It's an incredible role. And I would like to uh, sort of one of my, I'd like to have some like personal vindication and do it again. Um, And as healthy as I could manage, um, maybe in an all-female production or something. But um, yeah, I I was really proud to to have that part. And it was really hard and really challenging. and the OCD sort of was like, well, what if it all was destroyed? What if the worst possible thing happened, which would be um, you forgetting? And then that happened in college a lot where I was cast in this short play, but I had a 15 minute monologue um, to start the short play. I mean, there was only five minutes after that or else it wouldn't have been very short, but um, it was basically me talking and I got the role and was really excited. Um, and then instantly started having this this dread, you know, before I could articulate that it was OCD. I was like, you know, it was targeting that. And um, yeah, I definitely, it all, it, and that's something that I now know to, um, you know, my therapist is sort of helping me figure out like, of course it, of course the thoughts are around that because that's how the OCD fuels your anxiety and the anxiety is like the driving force of your OCD um, and will reinforce the 
the pattern. So yeah, I mean, it's totally related. Um, and I still struggle with intrusive thoughts about things I love and them being taken away from me. Um, luckily, you know, I haven't had a major, I don't know if relapse is necessarily the right word, but it sort of feels like it because sometimes, you know, it has been debilitating and it hasn't been in a long time. Um, so that's something I'm really grateful for. And I'm lucky to be in really good hands with my treatment and also with medication. I mean, I'm an enormous advocate, at least for my OCD. Um, the medication has really, truly just allowed me to be my very best self, I think. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the idea of mental health um, surrounding all the things that kind of feel most vulnerable in our lives is really an important thing to consider. Um, and it, and it makes sense, you know, like those are the things that give us the most feeling. Um, they spark the most passion or the most, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's like all the things that we love are the most extreme version of every emotion we feel. So anytime there's um, some fear about losing those things or ruining those things. I mean, I think anyone with anxiety, people who get panic attacks, people who experience depression, like I think all those things show up the most with, with the things we care about the most. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, I know there's obviously a lot of, you know, comorbidity with uh, transness just because of how society treats trans people and mental and mental health issues. Do you feel like that was connected for you at all? My transness, I don't feel like was connected to my OCD, but my transness is definitely very um, connected to um, the other part of my life and my mental health uh, world, um, which is much more recent, and that is um, struggling with an eating disorder. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, that's definitely currently at least how, um, my mental health has been tied into transness for sure. Yeah. Do you, could you, do you want me could, to talk more about it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be great if you, if you want to. I do. I'm sorry. I just also did, like wanted to let you be the guide. So I didn't want to like just jump into a, a, thing you didn't want me to know you can talk feel free to just talk about whatever comes to you it's i'm following your lead so whatever you feel that comes up that feels good to talk about go for it okay great yeah i mean i just think it's sort of worth mentioning if we're talking about mental health because i think that um things like body image and transness it's something that is so connected that we don't often hear about or talk about um when I came out as non-binary, I actually I first came out as non-binary and now I identify as a binary trans woman, which is just my specific journey, um, individual to me, of course. But um, yeah, I came out as non-binary and uh, I, it wasn't until I, I was happily sort of like exploring gender, rejecting gender um, for years. And then um, in 2017, I was cast in a play um, called Charm at MCC Theater. And I, you know, that was the first time I wanted to explore she, her pronouns. And it was the first time, you know, I had a character who was a, a trans woman. And 
um, I was I was seen as a woman um, by my peers in my profession and also in my personal life, and it was absolutely life changing. And I, you know, really came into my own as a as a binary woman. As much as I'd like to reject the binary, I find myself sort of clinging to it sometimes, which is also a nuanced thing about being a trans woman <laughs> or a, a binary trans person. Um, but yeah, so when I, when I came out as a trans woman, I started hormones and also went vegan and was diagnosed with celiac at the same time. So I started losing weight naturally um, and healthily. And so I was getting a lot of outside people, you know, at work, my family, friends telling me that I looked not only feminine, but um, smaller. You know, I, I ended up losing over 60 pounds. Um, and I immediately, you know, equated being feminine with being small, um, being a woman with being smaller, um, and, you know, being attractive as, as, as a woman being um, a certain size. So, you know, conflating those ideas in my head was very problematic for me. And um, I, you know, was re started restricting food a little bit. Um, well, a lot, but then I had bottom surgery, um, in October of 2019 and after bottom surgery, you know, I couldn't really walk very much at all for three months. I mean, a little bit after two, but you're really pretty stationary. Um, and, uh, I, you know, around the holidays last year, so around a year ago, a little over a year ago now, I, um, I really started hating my body like really which is you know a strong word to use unfortunately but it was true and um it was very interesting because i felt so free in it um i felt so relieved after my surgery and so happy and i felt like me um in all the gender affirming ways but i felt so resentful of it at the same time because of um my weight i guess and i really you know developed an eating disorder that was uh that is um a struggle um and i just think it's really unfortunate that we've i mean i'm speaking from my personal experience i don't want to project you know eating disorders onto anyone trans or otherwise like my experience don't want to project that onto other people but um how much pressure i felt to stay and lose a certain amount of weight to look a certain way um i don't think everybody feels that but i think many many people do and i don't think it's talked about enough um and it's really sad to, you know, and then I got, you know, other gender affirming surgeries that were such freeing, beautiful experiences, but then simultaneously struggling so much to love your body, right? So you're changing things that are external, that are helping you and your gender and making you feel like you, making you feel whole and beautiful for, for me, making me feel that way. and then really struggling with like that pain of unhappiness and um, discomfort in my form as well. And um, trying to navigate that is really 
tough because it, it, you know, after my surgeries, you know, for people I open up to, for them to hear that I'm so miserable in my body doesn't make any sense, right? Because I've just had these things that are supposed to be so incredible um, and they are, but, you know, it's also just like, a separate thing and that's hard to understand it's hard for me to understand you know and there's shame in that i think for sure yeah i i think holding especially with transness there's so much i mean you're kind of adapting in a lot of ways to like a whole new world a whole new way of thinking and there's there can be so much confusion that comes with that mm-hmm. and you also i don't know if if you feel this way but there's like uh there's like an expectation i feel of like what you know you're supposed to feel like and what you're yeah. supposed to think and mm-hmm. um and to like work with that internally um to think about the contrast between expectations and how you actually feel Mm-hmm. Holding multiple truths uh, can be extremely, extremely painful and and difficult. It's so true. It's really, really true. And you know, maybe it would be best. I mean, I wish. Uh, well, I don't regret anything really in my process, but I think releasing those um, expectations would have been really beneficial for me, um, especially after. That first um, surgery, when things kind of like went pretty out of control um, with my eating and stuff, you know, if I could have just allowed myself to release myself of the pressure of how I felt I was supposed to be feeling and just like let myself heal in multiple ways, you know, I don't know. I think you're right that that's where a lot of the shame comes from because you're, you are navigating a new world. I mean, I was navigating um, new realities and, and a body that was wholly new. And um, um, you know, that, that's a really, it's not a night and day experience, you know, I mean, I, I've never, I don't necessarily subscribe to trans people or for me I don't know if I was necessarily like I don't like the narrative of being born in the wrong body I think that's a really intense thing to um for me to subscribe to like for me when I had bottom surgery I know this is a little different of a topic um but I I think it's I think bottom surgery for me was sort of like anything else that I have had. I mean, it's just another step, whether for me, whether it was, you know, starting hormones or getting, you know, laser on my face or whatever, like gender affirming things I've done. You know, I, I never put so much pressure on um, this one surgery that for cis people, it's so easy to think of that as like the thing that all trans people need and want. And like, that's, you know, their dream. It's not it's not true. It's absolutely not true for, um, that's not what it means to be trans. I mean, many trans people have no surgery, no medical transition. 
and are obviously, I mean, I'm saying obviously, but cis people don't really feel, don't understand sometimes that, you know, those folks are 100% as much of a woman as me or as anybody. Um, or, you know, if you're not, if you're a genderless being, you know, or many genders, whatever. So it's just, it's all valid. And, um, but I allowed, I think that pressure of that surgery to give me a lot of shame in my sort of like reaction while I was dealing with body image issues and any NED. Where are you with that currently? Today, I'm okay. Yesterday, I was not. Um, I'm in therapy. I finally found a person. I'm actually seeing um, somebody new right now, uh, as well as, you know, my other guy when I need. Um, <laughs> but I am... Um, I found somebody who's helping me and somebody who is very healthy for me. Um, but we're sort of getting to know each other. And I honestly, Adam, am sort of figuring out everything day by day. And um, some days I'm scared and I don't know how serious I am about getting better and how serious I am about recovery and how much I want to be better. And then some days I want to be really healthy and I want to be my best um and i think seeing her and having conversations like this with you and you know the more people actually talk about these things openly um it's helping it's helping uh folks with like i don't know it's helping us it's helping me open myself up to the to the possibility that I won't have to struggle with this forever, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really important to understand for every, everything that falls under this umbrella that nothing is linear and there's going to be so many ups and downs and there's, it's, it's just going to be a, it's going to be constant for a lot of people. It's going to be a constant process of managing and that's okay. You know, Absolutely. you're always working towards something. Um, and there's no, I think the idea of having like this, uh, goal of 100% like healthiness, whatever that means can be, can be harmful sometimes. Um, I think it's just important to understand that, expectations have to be real and you're not going to achieve everything all at once. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's okay to feel confused. It's okay to feel a little hopeless. Sometimes you're just, you're just working on the next step. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. I really love, um, you, I think, forgive me if I'm sort of misquoting, but, you know, this not being linear and, um, you know, I've been hearing recovery and that is so real, you know, I mean, recovery can also contain relapses and uh, moments where you're not healthy um, and that is okay. And, you know, I, I'm trying to stay in the moment recently i'm trying to like today i'm feeling good to be honest and um 
I'm doing well tonight. Could that change possibly, but I have to be right here right now, you know, and um, I'll have really bad moments sometimes at the beginning of my day or throughout my day. And then the day will end and I'll be proud of myself for, you know, like how I've handled or managed um, it, you know, so it's really important. That is so important to remember that we don't need that pressure of um, all of a sudden, you know, being cured or being fixed and, and being better all of a sudden. It is something that often we manage for life. And that is absolutely, it's just what it is. It's, it's a good thing. It's a fine thing. It's just what we, what we do. Exactly. Yeah. I can't tell you the amount of times I've been, I've had like two good weeks and then I have a bad week and I'm like, Oh my God, what did I do? Like, why am I spiraling? Like I was just feeling so good. <laughs> like That is not helpful. <laughs> no, a thousand percent. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've definitely had a lot of that. And then, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> been, totally. And then you, in that moment of, of sort of, crisis you're like well this is just my new reality i'm i'm sick forever you know and then you're like no i'm i'm a i'm not i'm not i'm gonna be all right so i think that that's why having whether it's a therapist hopefully a therapist but also like i now have a friend who's sort of like an accountability person for me um who i can reach out to when i want to um exhibit some of my ed behaviors um who I can be like, hey, I'm having the instinct to do this and we can kind of, you know, talk about it and, um, you know, hopefully, like, get out of my own head for a minute with it, you know, and like, like pinpointing, well, what are your fears? Are those rational fears? Is that, you know, something that is going to actually feel better if you do this? Or, you know, the mind is just like the best and the worst, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. It's uh, <laughs> it can be frustrating. Um, yeah. but it sounds like you're, uh, a, a huge strength you have is, is being vulnerable. And, mm. um, I, I think that is a really, really big part of healing and managing. And, um, I think, I don't think people give themselves enough credit for being vulnerable. Like it's really, really hard sometimes. And it's kind of like the first thing that you need to do, like being open about what you're feeling. Um, And I think in terms of a processing perspective, uh, just like having conversations about your normal experience, like every single time something new comes up, something different comes up just by expressing those thoughts and feelings. So I think that's a a really amazing thing that you're able to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm so thankful. Like I, I, I don't mean to generalize, but you know, as somebody with anxiety and OCD, which is an anxiety disorder, um, I've always just, my impulse has always been, okay, I got to fix this because this doesn't feel good. Like, let's get this fixed. Let's talk about this. And, you know, I can be a chatterbox and talk someone's ear off about things. And and not like I said that jokingly, but if I were to phrase that unjudge, non-judgmentally, I can also sort of like talk myself into a 
pattern and cycle and sort of like freak myself out the more I talk and the more I think and the more I ruminate. So it's important for me to also, you know, find a, a balance of that. And um, sometimes just listening to, to, you know, somebody and uh, yeah, getting out of my own head. I mean, that's the biggest thing, but I, I'm very thankful that I've always wanted to just tell my truth. Um, and, you know, sometimes I deal with the self, uh, I don't know, getting down on myself and being like, well, maybe you're just a egomaniac Leo who loves to hear yourself talk. And I'm like, well, I mean, there's part of that being an actress and, you know, uh, just who I am. But also I think it's okay to, to tell your truth and to think that there's value in the, in the struggle and pain that you have and to, um, to, to tell your story. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm learning to love that about myself and not get down on myself or make a joke like, Oh, I'm just a, you know, bitch who's full of herself and loves to, you know, entertain people with my, whatever I'm going through. Right. But there, there is, um, and truth and, and what I have to say, and, and it's okay to be this way, you know, to, to tell the truth. hundred percent. Always. We are, uh, approaching the end that flew by, uh, it did. but do you have, was it first, was there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to bring up or talk about? I mean, I'm, I feel like I've said a lot. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. There I doesn't mean, have to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, I, we don't really have to talk about this, but I'm, you know, no, it's okay. I, I you can edit this out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, like, I want you if if there's something that I want you to share it, please. Well, I'm you know I'm a trans woman who's now in a relationship with a uh, cis hetero man. You know, so that's been bizarre. I mean, it's been great. I don't know if I I should kind of go into it, but it's it's you know something that is also like something I'm navigating and deal and not dealing with i mean I'm, I'm extremely in love and he's actually an extremely caring and and loving person but in that sometimes i feel like some imposter syndrome and i think that that goes into being trans right like we're um through the media and through what we've been taught in the media and from what we see with all the violence against trans women specifically black trans women um, where we've had the highest recorded number of, of murders this year, um, in, in, in a few years at least, um, of Black trans women and trans folks. We're not supposed to think that we deserve to be happy. I'm not supposed to believe, like, okay, um, there's this person who really loves me, and I'm going to accept that and embrace it and give my whole self to that person because, you know, I am less than, and here I am in this heteronormative relationship, and what am I doing here? You know, I'm in this idealized thing that can't be real. Um, and then with all my body image issues and shit I'm dealing with too, goes into that. Um, but I'm feeling strong in it. I'm feeling good. I'm letting the love in. I'm letting the love out. You know, we are happy and I'm happy. So I think that that's something I wanted to say because that's also important to be like, 
to be aware of navigating new joy in a relationship, even when you're struggling and even when stuff is really hard and, you know, even when you're at a low point um, and you're full of doubt or worry or anxiety about, you know, something that is so new and so beautiful, therefore, for me, panic-inducing at times, um, that it's worth it. It's really worth it. And um, believing the person you're with, you know, if they tell you they love you, they love you. If, you know, you're receiving messages daily that they are devoted to you and care for you and um, aren't ashamed of you, don't want to hide you, listen to that, you know. Um, while at the same time, of course, like trusting red flags and things like that. But I mean, for right now, I found something really beautiful that I feel is sort of precious and, and I'm accepting it. So I think that that was just all I wanted to say, kind of. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think that's a really important thing to, for everyone, regardless of what type yeah. of relationship you're in and in all types of relationships. Um, totally. That's a really, really great sentiment. Yeah, and not being, you know, rejecting that perfection. You know, you don't have to be, I don't, I don't have to be perfectly healthy and well all the time to be um, in a healthy relationship. Yeah. I think, I think, but I don't and, know. I also don't know anything. <laughs> no, nobody does. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and like, just to be loved, like, just because you, you like, just because you're not your perfect self, or you're dealing with your own issues, doesn't mean you're not worthy of love. Yeah, definitely. So the last thing that I always like to ask is if you have any advice, and that could be general world advice. It could be based on what we talked about. Really, whatever you want. Oh, good, because I like to think I'm quite the sage, um, <laughs> but. Um, I, boy, uh, gosh, I, um, yeah, I think just to echo a lot of what this conversation has been, I would say just embracing that you don't always have to be well all the time to ultimately be happy. And, um, I think the acceptance of when you're not doing well is the key and to um to look at it and face it and not um reject it or pretend it's not there and to always be vocalizing what's really going on with your loved ones and setting up a support um network around you which can feel really hard when you're in the grips of whatever mental health issues you're going through um i think that you know things like this, Adam, are really incredible and beautiful. And I've had like an absolutely lovely time with you. And um, but yeah, listening to a podcaster, um, you know, getting out of your head as much as you possibly can to uh, just like not have all of this pain inside of you is, is key. Yeah, that's great. Amazing. Well, this was Wonderful. Irene, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much.